This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 487 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. As you may have noticed, we have fallen behind on our book club due to the wag, more or less. Tonight, we're going to try catching up. After that, Jody Kelly brings our attention to relief efforts going on after the destruction left by Hurricane Michael. Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. How are you? Hi, Reese. I'm a little sick. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you sound I, I a don't, little I sick. I maybe don't sound as good as I normally do. I'm all stopped yeah. up. Got the head cold going. You're on it, though, Phil. <laughs> you're on it. Yeah. Well, we understand. I'm sure everyone's having crazy weather. We were literally just talking about that. We had our regional finals last week, and it rained so hard, and it was 40 degrees, and I'm like, we are all going to have pneumonia, literally every one of us. Uh, we were oh. outside all day. It was a little little challenging. Uh, the weather's been a little tricky, uh, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's probably snowing in Canada at this point. Well, it did snow yesterday. I wasn't going to say anything, but <laughs> never mind. This is why It, I don't it can Canada. still warm up after this a little bit, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah, and then it's just going to go go south so we hope you're all staying warm and uh but we got some good books for you guys uh we're gonna finally review the christoph hess book it's uh we all got a little off track uh with the wag but we're excited to review that and uh we're gonna announce our new book for the book club for our next book club so we're really excited about all that so uh let's get started and we will start with the review of ride better with christoph hess hope you enjoy well, Phil, it is book review time, and you and I are on tap today. So we're reviewing um, Ride Better with Christoph Hess. So, um, Phil, yeah, it's you and me, buddy. And <laughs> I, I've enjoyed this book a lot, actually. I would say with this book, I am super glad I own this, and I've actually told a couple people already to that they really need to get it and read it. But what I like about this book is it's a real problem solver for me. You know, basically, um, there's multiple chapters or multiple sections to this book. And with titles such as Walk the Most Difficult Gate, The Wooden Canter, Born to Stretch, Light in the Pole, a challenge. I have a horse that's light in the pole, and it is a challenge. You know what I mean? Stretch, then stretch, then stretch some more, which everybody should read. But I found that this is a very good book for specific issues. Uh, he talks about a horse being rain lane. You know, he talks about moving a horse from a snaffle bridle to a double bridle. So it's one of those to sort of have in the tack room and say, oh, I'm having trouble with straightness. There is a section on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, uh, it, it covers a lot of topics, Yes, but it doesn't read like a couple of the other books that we've reviewed, you know, sort of a front to back approach. Like you have to start at the beginning and it builds on the last topic and, and builds on the next topic and, and builds and builds and builds. You can basically, right. so uh, Meredith, my wife, she picked it up the other day. She said, oh, this it looks interesting. Did you like this book? I said, yeah, it's great. She said, you know, what's it like? Or, and, and I said, tell everybody, like you just open the page of contents, look through the topics 
find whatever inter- interests you. Help, my horse is a wiggle worm. Turn yeah. to that page, and it has a section dedicated to that. You know, And yeah. so it was written in this way from sort of like we do, listener questions and our trainer tips. This is sort of the same thing. There's, there's mm-hmm. questions written to Christoph Hess, which he answers in specifics and in generalization through each topic. So, you know, he talks generally about the horse and then specifically about each problem and what, you know, like a tip about that problem and, and what to do. I mean, you can certainly, when you read the whole thing, there's certainly themes throughout the book, you know, like doing canter trot transit. He's a, he loves canter oh, trot, he loves trot those. canter. Yeah, I've done a lot of those today in my lessons. Yeah, I'm like, okay, everyone's doing <laughs> Which is great canters. for the horse, and it can solve a few issues. But what he, then, then he goes ahead and, and writes about how canter trot transitions and trot canter transitions can specifically help that problem that he got asked about. So I think it, 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 it covers so much. And there's jumping involved here. There's a there's little bit of venting. Mm-hmm. Riding outside. Us is about you know riding outside a lot, mm-hmm. variety in the work, these sorts of things. So I mean, it does, like I said, it's not. I think the book would have to be much, much, much bigger to cover sort of all topics of training the horse. But it covers, I think, some really common problems and has some great solutions that are explained really, really well. Yes. I totally agree. That's what I mean. Like, I think for trainers, this is a great book to have. Just so, for example, I have a student that has a tricky horse with a tricky walk. This is perfect. I actually took a picture of it and sent it to her. I'm like, hey, (laughs) you need to read this. You know, this this is going to be helpful. This is for you, yeah. Yeah, this is for you. And it's, you know, the good thing is, too, it's maybe three or four pages to, to read. So I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad that I have it in my um, in my library because I think it's something that's actually quite helpful. So, you know, yeah, again, I, think you, I think you could just, you know, it's one of those you can pick it up, read for five minutes and sit down again, you know, set it down again, come back to it in a week, read a different section and, mm-hmm. you know, see what the, see what his tips are and what his solutions are to these problems i think i've run into pretty much every single problem that was written about in this book me too <laughs> so i you know i sort of you know been there done that and i learned a lot i learned a yeah. lot you know just from reading what his solution would be you know there's d- different trainers trained differently but his his solutions were just so simple that you you don't necessarily need to overthink things too much just you know just go out and try it and I think I think it would I think it would help a lot. I agree. This section on on learning to drive. Yeah, um, I mean there really is. Yeah, there's really everything. <laughs> I really liked. If I, you know, like I said, for me, it was actually the first chapter. It was the walk because I've been working on that with some students, and then I really liked the stretch. Then more stretch. Then some more stretch. <laughs> I liked that chapter. Yeah, it's, um, it's all about creating connection. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a that's a big thing with Christoph. So yeah, uh, and I liked the flying change chapter, and the chapter for about double bridles. Those were sort of my because those are those are really common questions and in, in times, and I thought that that was great. And he does actually also some really really helpful diagrams, and the pictures are quite nice. <laughs> yeah, beautiful <laughs> pictures. You yeah, got Ingrid Flimke in there. Mm-hmm. I think a couple other Olympians. Helen Lange Hannenberg is in here. I mean, yeah. it's just some really beautiful German riders and, and classic horses and beautiful horses. So it's a very well done book. And uh, I, I really would, um, this would be a book 
I would tell every everybody to get for their tack room. Or it, this would be a great Christmas gift for your trainer. <laughs> they would really <laughs> appreciate this, actually. Yeah. So. so I just wanted to bring attention to two tips that I took immediately to the barn the next day. Is riding with your reins in one hand. So you put both reins in your outside hand. And that can really help you to figure out if you are balanced and quiet enough with your hands. I mean, uh, if your horse falls apart or if, you know, it starts to drift to the side, you know, th- this is an easy way to evaluate your contact and, and, and your balance. So I thought that was really awesome. And then um, he talked about letting the horse on a long rein, so not even, you know, in, in the walk or, or the trot. The canter, that's, that's tough to do, but and ride some changes directions without touching the reins at all. So either in one hand or with really long reins, again, just to evaluate your horse's balance between your legs and to be able to see how effective your legs are. And, and you know, so, so that theme, so that, you know, kind of a theme was like people need to learn to, you know, to let go and to balance themselves independent of the contact, which I think is just an awesome tip. You know, we, we're trying to tell people that already, but I think those are two ways to, you know, to let your reins out one way or to take both reins into one hand another way and ride around for a bit and, and see if, if you can just ride the horse from your, from your leg and your seat. So I'm going to take that right away to all my lessons and to the yep. horses that I ride and, and you can, you know, figure your way through this dressage stuff. Yeah. So Phil, the one I kind of earmarked for, for our discussion was, again, I like the stretch, stretch and more stretch chapter, but this was his tip and, and he does a last word. Like this is really what I, you know, he's like, he tells you about the problem and then he fixes the problem and then he has a last word. So this is what he said. A good opportunity to prove the stretch of the neck is to have a trainer near the horse as described above when you're riding the horse on a long rein at the walk. It helps your horse to stretch for himself when the trainer takes gentle hold of the inside bit ring and guides the horse to stretch himself forward and downward by lightly playing with the bit and making it more palatable for the horse. The horse may also accept the bit with something positive and he really wants to stretch toward. The more your horse stretches through the neck, the better he feels in accordance with his nature. Uber striking release the contact, enables you to check your own balance in saddle and your horse's balance too. In your case, it is an essential exercise. Yeah, that's an awesome tip. Again, yeah. you see a lot of people when they're asked to stretch the horse to sort of let their reins go long and then start pulling your their hands back mm-hmm. into their into their hips or, you know, just riding the same contact just on a long rein, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense if, you're, if you want your horse's neck to get longer. So uh, having the rider... Just let go of the reins completely, and have the having somebody on the ground can show you that you don't need to be pulling the the reins back in your body to be encouraging the horse to to go to the bit. Because we know there's lots of horses that if you attempt to let them stretch, they won't won't necessarily do it. You have to figure out how to manipulate the bit without pulling backwards on it, and encourage the horse to invite the horse to the contact. So yeah. There's exactly. lots of great stuff in here. And lots of great stuff. He's an amazing so, trainer and a positive guy, and I, that comes across in the book as well. So it, we it does. really it does. appreciate that uh, he came on our show and, and that we got to uh, enjoy this book. So again, the book is Ride Better with Christoph Hess. Two thumbs up from Philip and I. So we hope you enjoy, and we hope you continue to enjoy our book club. Well, Phil, after this great commercial break from Kentucky Performance Products, we're going to come back with our new book. So we're looking forward to it. Hold tight. Her life was falling apart around her. 
But when she saw his sweet face and heard the low knicker, the pain eased. She stood in the stall for some time, running a brush over his sleek coat, down his powerful muscles and over his tight, cool tendons. He cocked his back leg, waiting patiently. She scratched his favorite spot and was rewarded with a crinkled smile and outstretched neck. The stress flowed from her body, and she knew with him in her life, she would make it through. This love story is brought to you by Endure Extra, providing high-fat calories, direct-fed microbials, and natural vitamin E to support optimal condition and performance. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. Well, today it is my pleasure to introduce the author of our book of the month, The Writer's Balance. We're here with Sylvia Locke. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Hi. It's a great pleasure to be here from the UK. Yeah, fantastic. We've had a few pro- a li- few problems with the phone call, but we got it sorted out and we've got you on the line. I'm very happy about that. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and you know, introduce Sylvia Locke to us. Absolutely. Well, I've been riding since the age of eight. I won't tell you how many decades, but it's quite a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I've been riding right up until now, and I'm still riding because I I get quite uh, amused when people say, are you still riding? Which is a kind of polite way of saying, at your age, should you still be riding? And yes, I I hope I'll be riding until my, um, you know, (laughs) until I pop my clogs, as we say here in England. I don't know if you have that expression in the U.S. I, I, th- I think, um, yeah, yes, we can I, understand what that means for sure. You can understand what that means. So I, I ride not quite daily. I used to ride several horses a day. But I, because I write, a lot, of, a lot of my time now is taken up writing. And also I run a sort of support system called the Classical Riding Club to advise and help other riders. And I, I really enjoy doing that. It's done on Facebook ma- mainly. But um, it's also a, a club which people used to join. I, I don't take subscriptions or anything anymore. We used to we used to produce a magazine. But I think, as you know very well, with, with the coming of technology, people don't even want magazines anymore. They, they want everything instant. So basically, I give a lot of advice on Facebook. Awesome, awesome. So, so what inspired you to begin writing in the first place? I'm sure you were a, a writer and uh, a coach before you began writing books. You're, you're right. I was a writer and a coach, but I also, as a hobby, even when I was very small, I think at about the age of seven, I started scribbling little books and stories and illustrating them and reading them to kids who live next door and that sort of thing. So I've always adored writing and it never occurred to me to write a horse book until one day somebody said, why the hell are you scribbling these things? Why don't you write (laughs) about something you really know about? So I think about the age of 22, I started writing seriously about horses and was lucky enough to get published very quickly by some British magazines, horse magazines. And then the books came later because after, after about, I suppose, another 10 years, I was asked to write my first book on the Portuguese and Spanish horse. So from then on, I was off. 
<laughs> so and when I'm was the well, yeah when the was the first age. book yeah sorry I was just going to ask when the first book related to from a coaching aspect when did that when was that published uh, the first book on the coaching aspect was called The Classical Seat. And I wrote that in 19, I think it was early, early 1980s. Um, I can't give you the exact date. I probably can. But um, anyway, it, 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 it was very, very successful. It was only a paperback. But we sold over a hundred thousand copies, which is um, quite That's something. Very good for, for a writing book. Yeah. So, so and, where did and a your book. yeah? So, where did your dressage education come from? Maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, where you learned or the people that you've learned from. Well, in England, well, actually, I lived in Scotland. In Scotland, the dressage was pretty, pretty casual, not not very structured when when I was young. But that was only because dressage wasn't really catching on anything like to the extent we know it today first of all it wasn't an olympic sport at that time secondly i think the 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 british have always been known for hunting and jumping and racing across country so while badminton and three-day eventing were very very popular dressage really was just part of the three-day event it wasn't a, a single sport on its own at that time but remember i'm probably talking about 40 or 45, 50 years ago. So I only really learned about what I call dressage properly or dressage proper when I went abroad. And the first time I saw, well, three different schools, the, the, the Vienna School, the Spanish Riding School of Vienna, I was blown away by that. Then I went to France and watched the Ecole, which is the French school at Samur, and I was blown away by that. Not quite as much as Vienna. Vienna is pretty special. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's yeah. partly well, due have, to the fact that you've the, got these beautiful white horses. Yeah, the ambiance of, of the, the whole thing and, and the classical music and the hall that they use, I think that's can be a little overwhelming. It is overwhelming, absolutely. But I, I still was a watcher rather than a, a rider of dressage. I mean, I had done dressage, but at a very low level. And I, I'm talking about schooling level. Um, when, when everything really changed for me to a huge extent was when I went to live in Portugal. And there I couldn't believe the riding. It was incredible. Now, they, they weren't riding dressage as a sport. They were riding dressage for real. And people were always a little bit shocked when I tell them it was to do with bulls. It wasn't necessarily yeah. fighting the bull, but it was about herding the bull, being able to move cattle and ar around. And you know a lot about that in the U.S., but it's slightly different. This was about working bulls in a very, very small area and being able to show that their horse was brave enough and loyal enough and sensitive enough for them to be able to do anything they wanted with that ball, move it about, make it go sideways, make it go into another part of the arena. And when I watched the riding, it, I, I, was, I was absolutely fascinated because they didn't move. You couldn't see what they did. And yet the horses were doing all these incredible things. So really, for me, that was my first awakening to the art of dressage as opposed to the sport of dressage. Does that make sense? Yeah, from, from more of a utilitarian 
use of, of the aids to be able to control the horse to be able to yeah. do something with it rather than, you know, get high marks and, and big scores. Exactly. I mean, I mean, there was exactly. a purpose to, there was a purpose to a, a pirouette or a half pass or, or, or things of that nature. Yes, absolutely. And they, they all had a practical nature. You know, there was a reason for doing the half pass or there was a reason for doing the change of leg rather than, as you say, showing off to get good marks. So that, that really grabbed me. I, I love that because it was so unforced. And I just love the fact that the horse and the, and the rider just seemed to be totally as one. You know, you hardly saw the, the guy because it was usually men on horseback at that yeah. time. You yeah. could hardly see the guy move. And yet the horses were so willing and they were on a, quite often on quite a loose rein. And they just seem to do everything by magic. And since then, that in a way has taken me up to this book that I've just published. It's literally just coming, coming out at the end of this week because I've talked about the weight aids. And that is what those people were doing. That, that is what those riders were doing. They were using their weight, but so, so succinctly that you, you couldn't see what they were doing. Today, I think that's a, a really I, interesting way. Because I know way, so yeah. much, I, I can see what they're doing because I know what to look for. But the average person looking wouldn't have a clue what they were doing. Right, right. I, I was just going to say that that's an interesting perspective because you're not necessarily drilling the movements, you know, coming from K to M, you know, 17 times exactly. and trying to fix it. But more or less the, the movement works because what you wanted to happen happened or not. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You you've you've got it, and 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 it's nice when people say that because so many people really don't understand the difference between that and riding K to X or whatever. Um, I think you've almost got to see that kind of writing to appreciate it. So it's, how is that? Um, I mean, it's lovely to watch. How, how best? Yeah, how best did were you trying to display this in your in your book? How is it written? Um, how is it structured? Well, in my latest book, which is a little bit different from the other ones, it's about what the horse feels from the rider in terms of weight rather than necessarily saying, I mean, I do explain where the leg should be positioned, yeah. say, inside leg at the girth for counter, outside leg behind. But in this book, I'm talking more about stepping into your inside leg for counter rather than just put your inside leg at the girth for counter because actually... You can tell someone that, and it may not work, because if their weight is wrong, the horse doesn't understand. And, and I find that a lot if I'm teaching people, especially people who come to me for the first time. I put them on one of my horses, who are highly sensitive, yeah. and if they don't get their weight right, the horse will not give them what they think they asked for. Well, it's a it's a blessing to have you know schooled horses around to be able to teach people because I think that's one of the hardest things of of the sport is that sometimes as a coach you say to do the right things, and as a rider, you know you can really try to do that, but if you're not on a schooled horse, it doesn't necessarily it, it doesn't work necessarily out, does it? you know I mean you just have to with a horse that's not so schooled you have to practice doing the right thing all the time, but it's very absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 very good when you have something that will demonstrate the right use of your your weight aids 
properly and, and you can get the response and you can have a lot a lot easier, a lot more rather than, you know, frustrated practicing of, of something over and over and over again. You're, you're absolutely right. And and you obviously are a horseman because you, you, you understand what I'm saying and where I'm coming from. I, I, I think the other thing is that it's wonderful for the rider to feel how the horse responds to that when maybe they've never done it that way before in their lives and they suddenly get an instant result. And that must be so exciting for them because, uh, for example, well, flying changes. I think that's probably the only movement where people do recognize you have to shift your weight. But I don't think for normal, just walk, trot and canter, turn right, turn left, people even begin to think about where their weight is. They, they tend, well, the more novice ones tend to rely on the reins almost completely, and the more experienced ones rely on their legs and their seat, but they don't actually think, God, all I needed to do there was put an inch, uh, sorry, not an inch. Do you have inches in the U.S.? Yeah. <laughs> you talk yeah. about inches? Oh, yeah, you do. Not, not, um, not do you in Canada. We're about... all metric in Canada, but in the U.S., it's it's inches and, and pounds and, yeah. And you, do you, pounds of weight. Great. Okay. I don't think they appreciate that you don't even need a pound in the stirrup to make a horse turn the way you want him. You only really need a few ounces if you do it correctly. But, of course, that is the secret. Knowing how much or how little to give an aid, a weight aid, and also having the confidence just to do it because often people are holding on with their legs so much that they can't give a weight aid. They aren't able to release the legs so that, for example, if they want to turn right, they don't know to let the leg go so that the weight of their foot and the stirrup gives the horse the aid rather than the the leg having to do a lot more than what it should have to do. It's almost a letting go of the leg, a release that allows the horse then to follow. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm I'm getting more and more excited to be able to review this stuff and, and read it in your book. I don't I don't think we should give away much more than that so that people get a chance to uh <laughs> to learn no to learn spoilers. from the book and, and go so over it and read free. it yeah no not too many no spoilers <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i want to thank you for um, coming on the show and, and uh joining us and explaining a little bit about about yourself and and, and about the you. book that we're going to review this month i just had one more question um and it has to actually do actually has to do with a few of the pictures and uh especially you know the picture on the front i noticed the the square stirrup irons I don't know if, if that's well, covered in the book, but um, that's something I've never seen before. They're lovely, aren't they? They're, they're my Portuguese ceremonial stirrups. And the reason I use them is it gives the foot a little bit more support. I, I had a foot operation um, okay. about five years ago. And I you this. do you know what I mean in a, in a horse about the navicular bone? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you know that humans have navicular bones too? I wasn't aware of that. So it's in in, (laughs) in your foot? I had had an operation on both my navicular bones in both feet about six years ago. And they really left me with, they left me in a lot of pain. 
And the reason I had to have an operation was the particular joint, the navicular joint, had been so worn down through my riding that I had to have this operation. And they fused two bones together. But my God, the recovery was much more painful than what I'd been putting up with. Anything in the foot sounds sounds quite painful because you, you bear weight on it if you're walking all day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, so I, and I know now as I a coach, with those yeah. Portuguese syrups. Okay. And um, they get they give a lot more support, and and also they look rather lovely. Yeah, it's so, a different picture. You know, two reasons. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, fantastic. Thank you again for joining us. And I think anybody in North America that would like to uh, find the book, www.horseandriderbooks.com, and uh, any other any other places where you can find this book. I'm sure Amazon carries it. You, yeah, Amazon will have it, and I, I, it'll be on my website, which is www.classicalriding.co.uk. If I may just add that in, yeah, because yeah. then they can read read a little bit more about all the different classical. Well, it's another language almost. It, it is it is proper dressage riding, but it's more succinct than that. And the reason it's called classical is, of course, it was the Greeks who really took it to quite a fine art. And But we're talking about 400 BC. Um, they really exploited the the art of riding. And, and I guess it was because for warfare, you know, they were using horses in war. And they, they were amazing with horses. And they talked about the weight. And it's something that's never really been talked about much in typical British, certainly perhaps more in America. But in British riding academies, they hardly ever talk about the rider's weight. They may say, put your foot in the stirrup more, but they won't say things like, which I think needs to be said, let your foot drop into the stirrup. Don't put it there. Let it drop. Because if we if we let go of our tension, our weight will go down. Just like when you stand up straight, your weight goes straight down to the ground. What goes up must come down. And that is just a side of riding that hasn't been explored or written about since the time of Xenophon. So I've I've done it. <laughs> and, and I like to think this book is I think it's unique in that it really explores every single movement from both the aspect of, I mean, it's not that I don't talk about the seat, the hands, the legs. Of course I do. But I think it's the only book out there, a modern book, that really explains about how to use your weight in such a subtle way that nobody, a bit like when I first went to Portugal, nobody could see what you were doing. The only one who knew what you were doing was you and your horse. Well, I think that's, you know, that's uh, when writing becomes art, which can be lost sometimes but we really strive to produce these kinds of results uh, you know in in our at home in our school and also at, at the shows because i think that's you know judges appreciate that uh, you know, as well and yes. spectators and yes. everybody knows when when a horse is being ridden well and, and can, it can become obvious so hopefully your book will help us to do that and as we you know move forward on our journey of training horses and and having fun and Again, I appreciate you your time tonight, and maybe we'll talk soon about another one of your books that we can bring on to our book club. That would be lovely, and I've really enjoyed talking to you. And I, I can tell you're a horseman, which makes it extremely nice because it's so much easier if you're talking to someone who can understand. 
And I, I really appreciate being on your program. Thank you so much. And, and I love America. I've, I've been over there to teach and lecture, and I've absolutely loved every moment of it. Well, there's, there's a lot of enthusiasm for, for the sport. Well, Phil, we actually have a really important total saddle fit tip of the week, but we wanted to start talking about the Stretch Tech Shoulder Relief Girth. I use this girth a lot, actually. We, we, have, we have all versions. Stretch's awesome and has provided us with all the versions of the girth. So we use multiple different versions. I have found this Stretch Tech Shoulder Relief Girth is really helpful for my young horses that are sort of growing and need a little bit of, uh, they're learning to use their abs and lift their shoulders and lift their rib cages. I've had super good luck with this girth. So actually, uh, Big Mike, follow me, goes in this girth, and so does Elon Court. So my two main horses, actually, they both really like this girth. So I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of the... So, yeah, the this is this is my players. favorite one. My yeah, favorite one as well. I mean, yeah. The price point is a little bit more than the other ones, but uh, mm-hmm. for me, it's worth it. And they are, you know, really good, good-looking girths. The yep. leather is great; it holds up. I, you know, I clean it off, and it can go to a show. It can go right now. We're doing clinics all around. Um, you know, we've got some great instructors coming around. So, uh, you know, this is a this is a, a girth that goes to the shows, and the horses really love it. And they're easy to clean. They're easy to maintain, and it fits. Pretty much all of the all of the horses. Um, I yeah. recommend it to my students now. There's a whole bunch of these stretch checkers, you know, around the barns, and they're really gaining in popularity. Uh, I guess because of re- recommendations, word of mouth really does work. Yeah, it does, but it really works. We 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 really recommend it because we both use this girth, and I've had a lot of success with this girth. So we use it, like I said, my two top horses go in this one and I love it. But also there's multiple different girths that in Justin's line at totalsaddlefit.com. And as always, Justin is fantastic with any questions and he will point you to a girth that you need because um, I've had other horses where I have trouble with the saddle fitting and he points me to just the actual, the original total saddle fit girth. So Justin is fantastic and he will point you in the right direction. So uh, again, totalsaddlefit.com and talk to Justin and we look forward to, as always, he's fantastic. So we've got a, a really important Total Saddle Fit tip of the week with Jody Kelly and we hope this will help and we can help a bunch of people with this. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Tonight for our total saddle fit tip of the week, we have our good friend and somebody that comes on the show all the time, FEI rider and trainer, but truly an angel this week. We have Jody Kelly on the line. Jody, welcome. Thank you. Well, you usually come on and do amazing trainer tips for us and come on just in general a lot, but we actually have something really important to talk about tonight. And we, I've been watching your Facebook and just kind of communicating with you. You are from Destin, Florida. Your barn is in Destin. And can you kind of tell us what you've been, you know, obviously with Hurricane Michael, you've been a huge part of the relief effort. Can you kind of tell us what's going on down there? Yes, for sure. So our barn is in Destin, Florida. We are up in the panhandle. Our barn is less than a mile off of the beach, um, so we are very tuned into the hurricanes and where they go and what they're doing. And um, we, you know, this one developed really fast and got really big, you know. And I just have to say, we and Destin are are okay. We were 
we're probably the first fully functioning town that's on the west side of where the storm made impact. And we did evacuate our horses. We had 34 horses on the beach and we ended up going west 60 miles. It wasn't too far, but I got this amazing picture as it made landfall of where we were in the radar. And we literally like our blue dot of where we were located, where we evacuated to was like maybe less than a couple of miles from where the final outer band made landfall. It was really, it's one of the most, it gives me goosebumps every time I look at it, how wow. how close it was. But but our farm survived fine. We ended up moving back home the next day and everything. We just had trees down and, you know, your basic debris. So as soon as we got all of our horses back home and safe, we kind of switched our focus over to our friends that are east of us. And um, it, it's really just truly unbelievable. But what's so crazy about this storm is that usually they hit the land and as soon as they make landfall, they pretty much fall apart. So most of your farmland, anybody with most people with horses, most people with any type of farmland, they're all fine because they're usually more inland or they are more inland. But this time, the storm just, I think because of the speed, it just blasted through. And I heard that it made, it reached like Alabama and Georgia as a category three still, like just unheard of strength. And the damage is just so extensive. You can't believe it. So we, um, we work closely with Aliqua Animal Refuge and um, they've just been so so overwhelmed with all forms of animals that my mom and I have taken the calls. (laughs) We started out as being the the equine headquarters and we were taking all of the horse calls, but this week it's kind of expanded and we've actually, we've have, I have to say, we've had a lot of laughs and in all of the seriousness, we've had a lot of laughs as well because we've ended up taking a lot of the livestock calls, which we know nothing about, (laughs) but like we, we have managed to find homes for like blind cows. Today we were out with donkeys. Tomorrow is a hundred goats need to be relocated. Gosh. Yesterday we relocated twenty-seven ducks. I mean, like oh you <laughs> name it. If it's not ducks. a house oh, animal, because wow. like Alaquas kind of divided up into two. Like they have their house pets, like the dogs and the cats mainly, and birds that they're handling. And then we have gotten we've turned into kind of the the livestock headquarters. <laughs> so it's it's been it's been pretty interesting, but. We started out right after the storm, just going over because there's no communication. The, the cell phone service is getting a little spotty, so at least there's some communication over there, but there was just nothing, you know, and you'd hear people, you know, Facebook has been amazing as far as communication, but there was a lot of talk, but not always necessarily facts. You know, you hear Joe Pimentel, for instance, he's a big tracaner breeder. You hear he's he's lost everything. He's demolished, but you all these different things, but nobody actually knew facts, you know, so we... Started the first day after the storm, got in our car and drove over and checked on Joe was our first stop. And and it's amazing. His whole barn, those are the main pictures that have been going around are of his place. And he has he had steel build steel buildings, a covered arena with steel beams, and it is gone. It is flattened. And luckily he had his um broodmares turned out in the field, which is oh, wow. you know, you, you, you hear all that, you turn out, you keep them in. We always have the rule of thumb that if it's so bad that they're not safe in the barn, we evacuate because of how close we are to the water. But, you know, these people are far enough off the water that they, it shouldn't have been a concern for them, you know? And he did have some horses that were in the barn. He ended up losing one mare that got cut. And um, unfortunately she bled, she bled out. But out of 30, I think he ended up having the, the main, the final number was like 35 horses he had there. That was the only injury he had. Um, oh, and then he lost a, a two-year-old, actually. He did. He lost two horses. 
But if you saw his place, you'd be shocked that anything went through it. But he had been, by the time we got to him, he had been, you know, he had lived through the storm and had been two full days trying to piece things together. And um, my, he had a generator, um, but my dad was able to rewire his pump, his water pump, so that he, his well, so that he was able to get water. And it just was, I mean, really when the, when we turned the faucet and water came out, he started to cry. I mean, it's Aww. just, you don't, it's the simple things in life. You just, once it's all taken away, you, you just don't realize what it really means, you know? And so he had been getting water for his horses out of a creek. And so just to get him running water again was, was a huge thing. But Joe's, Joe's been getting, has gotten scored away. And then, so that was the first day for us. And then the second day, it was kind of the same thing. There's another dressage rider, Sarah Warner, who is, um, she's a judge. And she actually lives really far north for, I mean, to have hurricane damage. Again, it's just unheard of. And so we had heard that she was, you know, was stuck in her driveway because the trees were down. And that was the understatement of the century. Like she had her driveway, it was her, the road to get to her driveway and then her driveway, which was at least a mile long. And it was literally like somebody had dropped a, a box of matchsticks, you know, only they were huge pine trees. And it was one after another, after another. And a friend of mine and I just tried to hike our way in just to get to her to see what she needed um, that first day. And uh, we, we hiked for a, good hour and never made it to her house and we got to the point that it was so you, we didn't even know if we were on the driveway or not because it was just wow. trees everywhere <laughs> but we went back the next day with she was getting in we did find her that day um, by going a different way she was getting in and out of her farm with a canoe and she was getting water to her she had seven horses back there and amazingly enough her horses were perfect she had no problems with her horses but she had were those water. ones turned um, were those ones turned out as well or those were in their stall and her barn was totally and fine. So, barn, you know, it's yeah. one of those, her, her barn fared perfectly um, well and she had trees down all over and none of them landed on her barn. It was the craziest thing. But we, uh, we went in with a huge team on Sunday and we had notified the, the Daphne search and rescue team um, also, and they showed up as well. And so we ended up with four tractors. I, I lost count at like 15 chainsaws or more, and then more people than you can possibly imagine showed up. And we blasted through her driveway and cleared a path from the barn to her house and got her pretty well squared away and functional. And Sarah is, she's just an amazing person. And she was one of the first people when Hurricane Katrina hit that started driving supplies back and forth to horse people over in Mississippi, Louisiana, all of that whole area. And she collected stuff. And I mean, she just worked tirelessly getting stuff to all the horses over that were affected by Katrina. And um, it was just, she, she deserved to be paid back, you know, tenfold yeah. and, um, and everybody showed up to help her out. And then now she's already kicked into gear and started distributing supplies to other people in the area. Now that she can get out of her driveway, she's, she's already trying to take care of her neighbors, even though she still is in, in a pretty bad situation. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. so, but it's what, like what? that, like that's two examples, but I mean, it's like that everywhere. So it's going to be a while before you can, before people are going to be squared away and, and, and actually. Yeah, it really is. You know, things do. are kind of yeah. are shifting. Like, you know, you go from those first few days where it's like really the dire straits, like they need immediate water. They need to be yeah. cut out of their driveways water, yeah, and yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Like, are you alive? What are the immediate needs, you know? And then I, I feel like most people are 
semi-mobile now. There's you don't hear quite as many stories about them being like literally trapped on their farms Stranded. as much yeah. as now. They just they don't have anything because they're they're finding out now that okay they're free from their farm, but you drive up the road and there's no feed store left. There's their hay guy's been wiped out. Everything like that that they would normally just run to the store to get is gone. You know, so that's where now it's kind of kicking into the the supply. Um, the supplies coming in have been amazing from all over the place, but they're, they're taking them and so grateful for them because, you know, these are small town, you know, farm owners and, you know, not, and it's just, it's a very rural area of, of Florida. And um, when one feed store that supplies the whole town is gone, then the whole town's in trouble. You know, we uh, just talked to a lady, she owns orange, orange Hill, um, feed store and she uh they were desperate for goat feed and when we talked to her the other day about bringing some supplies and making her a distribution center she started to cry because she said the people in her town have been coming you know they're mobile they can leave their farm they come to her and she's got nothing to offer them so so the supplies that are coming in originally we were having them shipped into aliquah the animal refuge because they weren't affected and then we were like driving them from farm to farm and bringing them to them now we started to set up more distribution areas within the affected area. Um, and then that way people can go, they can go to the feed store that they're familiar with, or they can go to certain you know town places that they're familiar with and pick up whatever they need to take care of their animals and start to try to figure out some form of new normal for them, you know? So mo- moving forward, what is, what is the, what is the need? I mean, how can people help? Um, what, what are you guys doing? What, what are you requesting? that kind of thing. So moving forward, everybody is kind of shifting into the, how to start to sustain life. The supplies are, are amazing. You know, if people want to send money, uh, Aliqua Animal Refuge is, it can be a tax deductible donation and all of that money goes directly to the animals. It can be earmarked for the horses if, you know, people prefer that. Um, And that's what mom and I have been working on and really, making targeting exactly what people need um and and doing huge feed orders like um actually linden gray's dressage for kids raised a bunch of money and we bought several pallets of feed um because we're trying to set it up to where it can be consistent for the horses you know not like this random bag of grain here and another right. random bag you know right. it's not, yeah, that's it's not, not survival useful. now it's more it's more sustaining life so they need to eat the same thing every day you know so we're um they they raised money for some pallets of grain and we ordered those and we'll distribute them into the area. And, um, and hay is is a big thing. Most people in the Panhandle feed coastal hay, so any of the, any coastal hay that we can get is is greatly appreciated. Um, and then and then the money, you know, money is always sure. helpful because we can get the supplies we need. And then also the biggest thing right now, as people are still trying to get back to normal, is that we need manpower. The chainsaws, chainsaws and tractors and manpower because everybody has trees and I'm not just talking about a couple trees down. I mean, like trees are everywhere and they're huge pine trees. And, um, the more people that can come with crews of, of chainsaws and tractors and manpower, the the faster we can get people back to, to functioning. You know, it's like, I talked to one big barn, they've got 27 horses and like, they're technically fine because they have, um, a generator hooked up to their well. So they have running water. They've had feet delivered. They'd have shavings delivered. So, you know, by 
by emergency standards, they're fine. Um, their barn is still standing, but they only have four usable paddocks because of so many trees down. So they're rotating horses in and out. So they're desperate for people just to come show up with chainsaws and help them clear their paddocks just so they can get their horses out and not be rotating them four at a time, you know? Sure, sure. Wow. So, Jody, can you tell us one more time, spell the rescue that you're using? Spell yes. that out just so we know in the numbers. Like, how do we how do we get to that rescue? So it's Aliqua, A-L-A-Q-U-A, Animal Refuge. And they're online. You can, if you Google them, they're easy to find. Um, and they have online a, um, they set up a um, uh, Hurricane Michael emergency relief fund. So it's, it, it, if you go to that, it goes directly to a separate fund that's got nothing to do with the refuge on a daily basis. And it's only for the animals that have been affected by Hurricane Michael. You know, and like I said, if they wanted to go for something specific, they can earmark it and the, those funds will go that way. But we're in direct communication with the founder there, Laurie Hood. We talk to her on a daily basis, multiple times a day at this point. And so she's the one that has the, where the funds go directly. So we know what it's being spent on and can certainly direct it however people request and, and greatly appreciate it. Well, Jody, really, I'm, you know, I've been watching and, and you're just amazing. And, you know, you totally changed, obviously, your fall plans for regionals and finals. But at the end of the day, this is where, yeah, this is, this is where, you know, it's one of those things, there's no way you, you could be, we did send a group of our, our kids that went ahead and went, they kind of evacuated that direction and it worked out. It was great for them. Um, but, you know, sometimes you do just have to have to regroup, even going back to work on Monday, I've been trying to get my horses back on a little bit of a normal schedule this week. And it's, it's hard when, you know, sure. there's still people standing there with trees everywhere and, you know, no power, no water and, and their lives turned completely upside down. And I'm trying to work on a 20 meter circle, you know, you're like, I mean, as animal owners and lovers, and, you know, we really feel for all of our animals who don't understand you know, yeah. why they're you know, getting half the, ration of pay, you know? Or, yeah, or it's true. That's... And, you know, the amazing thing with the animals that we've discovered, you know, we fully expected of, to go into that area and have to be evacuating them, like, after the storm, like, after all the damage was there, pulling yeah. them out left and right. And it's it's amazing how many people are holding on to their animals, and it's amazing how well the animals have done. You know, you walk into Joe's, and, like, literally his places looks like a bomb went off. And, but his mares are used to being out in the field. He's got them contained in the fence and they're so peaceful. And even his stallions were in a barn that was halfway, you know, the roof was gone and, but it at least had them divided and had them separated and everything was okay. And they're calm and they're happy. And so it's, it's amazing how many of the, them are like that. And the donkeys today, we went, we went to this place fully expecting to take these two donkeys out of there today. And they, yeah, there's trees down everywhere and their fence is a little bit of a mess, but they're contained and they're, they're so relaxed and so calm. And so we've, we've kind of refocused on instead of getting the animals out of there, just doing what we need to do for the owners so that they're able to keep their animals and take care of them, you know, because they want that just as much as, as anybody. And, and the, and the animals are, are happy at home, even with their farms completely destroyed. It's really amazing how settled they are. Wow. Well, Jody, you truly and your mom and your whole team have just been angels and um, hopefully we can help and donate some money and uh, anybody that lives in the area can get in touch and um, can get in touch uh, with the rescue. So Jody, thank you so much yeah. for your time tonight. Yeah. We know you, we know you, you need some rest. Yeah. So thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to talking again soon and hearing sort of All how right. things are getting back Sounds to normal. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thanks girl. Talk to you soon.
All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, Phil, as always, we love shout outs. And this one's for you, and you get to read it. So what you have? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> me, I don't think it was written for me, but it's a nice comment. So we like to highlight the nice comments people send us. So this is through our Facebook page. If you guys aren't uh, haven't liked it yet, do that because we post all of the new episodes onto our Facebook page and other stuff that's going on, meetups, and you know where we're at and what we're doing. So lots of photos, some great stuff. So this listener says, uh, Michael's tip, re the elbows forward, and Phil's explanation is super helpful in understanding why my six-year-old mare blows and snorts happily when I give my hands. Karen's winterizing tips and reminders are great too, though that's out of my hands mostly. Would love some segments on barn management and tips of practices and ethics. Well, okay. maybe, we can, maybe we can bring that. Well, as always, we love these emails and Facebook shout outs. And I will say Michael's tip on the elbows in front. Uh, that was a fantastic tip. I, I, I've been using it literally every day with my students and, and even you myself. Send like, a few cents every time that you do? I should, right? Yeah, like I'm not going to tell him that. I'm not going to tell him because <laughs> I, would, I would owe him, a, you know, at least a, a coffee at this point. So uh, fantastic. Well, that's a really good one. And we appreciate, as always, email and Facebook shout outs. Send them to us and we will get them on the show. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is on Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on a good show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we will talk to you next week. 